Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Holy crap, it's here. This has taken me seven months of my life to complete, and I am super pleased how it turned out. What is Miguel talking about? It's my new book, Expat Secrets. You're going to be able to find it on Amazon right now. Let me just give you the full name of the book because I think it says a lot, okay? Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. Boom. I really like that. Basically, the book breaks down everything you need to know for leading an international life. This is timely information and modern, and it's a fun read. You can buy your copy right now by going to Amazon and searching Expat Secrets. This will really help support the show to grow. And if you want to be an awesome human being, what I want you to do is leave the book an honest review on Amazon. It actually makes a huge difference to new authors like me. Seriously, I mean this. Please get a copy of the book and please leave the book a review. It's just good karma. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is an anarcho-capitalist and libertarian, freedom fighter against mankind's two biggest enemies, the state and central banks. He is the founder of The Dollar Vigilante and host of the popular podcast, Anarchast. He is a prominent speaker at many of the world's freedom, investment, and cryptocurrency conferences, including his own, Anarchapoco, as well as a regular in the media, including CNBC, Bloomberg, and Fox Business. Please welcome to the show, Jeff Berwick. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. So straight off the bat, Jeff, what is an anarcho- anarcho-capitalist? Because we have tried this seven times for me to say this word. Yeah, I don't know why it's so hard for you. It's, it's, it basically, it basically, the way to think of it is it's two words. So it's anarcho, uh, which means anarchist, and capitalist, which I'm sure you know that word quite well. Uh, hopefully you do. Most people actually have the wrong definition of it, but uh, most people at least know that word. Uh, and so really all it means is uh, when you say the word anarchy, that's actually a Greek word. It just means an without archy ruler. So I don't believe that anyone should be slaves because if you have a ruler, then you're a slave. Uh, so uh, there's another word for what uh, what uh, you would call a person like me. And it's also called it's something quite simple and easy to understand. It's called voluntarist. And it just means that I think everything that humans do should be voluntary, that people shouldn't be forced to do things they don't want to do. I think most people would agree with that, but they haven't realized that if you take that to its fullest extent, then governments are completely Ill- illegitimate. And uh, and so a lot of people also say, oh, you anarchists are crazy. How can we have a world without governments? 
we actually can, but only if enough people understand uh, that uh, they own themselves and that if they actually truly understood what government is, no one would really want it. It's actually a bit of a form of mind control. In fact, that's what the word government means. Govern is to control. Ment in, in Latin and Spanish is mind. It's mind control. And it's basically getting people to believe that uh, someone else owns them. And I, I just believe that we all own ourselves and that no one should be slave. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So talk to me about what the difference is between a libertarian and an, and an anarchist then. Yeah, those are, uh, it's sometimes a little bit tricky for some people, and, and everyone has different definitions, I should point that out. So I just pointed, I just said what an anarchist is. Libertarian is a bit more of a, a more general term. Uh, it's, a gen, it's quite self-explanatory, really. It's someone who's, their main principle, or one of their mo main principles in life is about liberty. They want liberty for themselves and for other people. Now, the, what I say about anarchists is we are the true libertarians because we believe in complete freedom. Uh, other people call themselves libertarians, and they say they just want really small governments. And, of course, I get along fairly well with those people. I, I want governments to be as small as possible, down to zero. Uh, they, they seem to think there's still a reason for them, and maybe there is, and we'll see. Uh, we're nowhere near close to having governments down to zero. Uh, we're not even close to starting to get towards that yet. Uh, but there's some people who call themselves libertarians who aren't anarchists. So... They just believe that government should be really, really small, sort of how the U.S. was um, when it was first founded. Uh, there really was, you know, the U.S. is very free for the first uh, 100 years or so, and it's been going downhill ever since to the point where it's now the largest government in the world. It's the largest extorter of uh, people in the U.S. to trillions of dollars per year with the IRS. Uh, they've instituted central banks, uh, which are a form uh, of uh, a tenet of communism, actually. Uh, and, uh, you know, war states, you know, even in the U.S. at the beginning in, this, in the Constitution, they, they said that there should be no standing armies. Now the U.S. has military bases. You're over there in the Emirates. Uh, you, I know you all around there are U.S. military bases in Qatar and in, in um, uh, uh, starts with a B. I, I was there once. Uh, Bahrain. Bahrain, yeah. Uh, actually, it stumbled into the U.S. military base by accident in Bahrain. <laughs> That's actually an interesting story. So I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a traveler. I've been to about 100 countries, and I was just doing my usual thing. I'd just uh, go to an airport and say what their next flight was, and uh, the next flight happened to be Bahrain, and I went there, and I show up. And this is back about over 10 years ago, and I used to drink uh, quite a bit and party quite a lot. I don't anymore, but I used to. And um, so I arrived, and uh, the guy goes, the taxi goes, well, I'm surprised to see you here. And I was like, uh, that's weird. Why? <laughs> Why are you surprised to see me here? And he said, well, it's... Uh, What's that one month of the year where they don't eat or oh, drink? Oh, Ramadan. Ramadan. He goes, it's Ramadan. Oh, and yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, Ramadan, I've heard of this. And, and he goes, yeah, so you can't eat all day. And uh, uh, no alcohol, of course. We don't normally have alcohol. But even you expats can't even have alcohol uh, during this, this month. And I just started sweating. I was like, I was expecting I was going to go to a nice hotel, go to the bar, meet some girls, that sort of stuff. And I booked the flight out uh, immediately. But as I did, I, so I, I said to the guys at the hotel, I'm like, I have to get out of here. I did not know this was going on. I'm not prepared for this whatsoever. And um, I was wearing actually camouflage shorts, uh, military-style camouflage shorts. And so I run out of the place like in a panic. I had to get out of the country. And uh, I hop in the taxi. And the guy didn't ask me where I was going. And I thought, oh, maybe the hotel told him already that I needed to get to the airport. <laughs> we drove for like an hour. And he drops me off, and there's all these American guys with giant guns and, all, you know, the whole military sort of thing. And I get out of the taxi. I'm like, this doesn't look like the airport. And he's like, airport? I thought you are military. I was like, 
no, I'm not military. <laughs> so he dropped me off at the U.S. Uh, military base. So the guys came out with their guns, and they were very aggressive with me. Like, what are you doing here? What do you want? And I was like, I'm looking for the airport. I don't, I don't, even, I didn't even know you guys were here. I guess the U.S. just has military bases all over the place. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> funny. Okay, so if I'm a libertarian, and I think that's actually probably how. I found your material in the first place, because when I start digging into what is libertarianism, start reading some of the literature and things like that, and these were kind of beliefs or ideas or things that I had in my head for 10 years maybe, but hadn't really explored them. So I think that's how I got connected and started watching your YouTube channel and start consuming some of your content. So what are the big differences in a practical sense that people make between libertarianism and anarchy? like those differentiating things what would you say uh that's a good question you know the the word libertarian i didn't even know what that word meant until about 2002 um and i didn't know what the word anarchy meant either so both of these words have either been totally confused or just people don't even know what they are until i think it was around when ron paul ran for president around 2008 all of a sudden people started to uh talk about this word libertarianism and it's actually become so well known now in the last 10 years since then that I think most people have heard the word now. So that's a good start. Um, before that, um, you, you know, your average person does not know that there's other options other than this left right paradigm of you go vote every four years and you vote for the lesser evil, which is still evil, and you get evil every single time. It's and funny how that equation works, eh? <laughs> Yeah, it's a big setup. It's a big scam. Uh, the, the whole democracy thing, even the, uh, you know, going back to the founding of the U.S., the so-called founding fathers, as cultish as that sounds, uh, they they said democracy is horrible. You would never want that. It was not, the U.S. was not even founded as a democracy. And now you have people have been propagandized now for decades into thinking that that is what uh, is so great about America is democracy. Democracy is just mob rule. If there's 51 percent of people who vote for 49 percent of people to be killed, that's totally fine in democracy. It's absolutely terrible. And uh, and now you have the U.S. going around the world, bombing countries, saying they're trying to give them the gift of democracy, which is not a gift whatsoever. It's a terrible system. Well, the thing that really drives me nuts is when then they say that they hate freedom. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I've been to 100 countries as well. I've lived overseas for 20 years as an expat. I've lived in seven different countries. All of the countries had freedom that I lived in. You know, this was not something that the United States has like a patent on. This has actually like all over the place. Yeah, there's, you know, every country's different. And uh, as you know, being to 100 countries, there's some really great things about some countries and there's some really bad things about some countries. Every single country. The difference between like what the U.S. used to be back in the 1700s, it's been a long time since then. Uh, is that it was really quite free. Like it was the most free. It was the mm -hmm. biggest, it was the biggest experiment in freedom as, under a government structure that had ever been tried. And that's why it's still remembered to this day. The sad part is that it's changed completely and it's nothing like it used to be. And people still think it's great and still believe the slogan land of the free. When in fact, as you know, as a person who travels, there's very few countries that have less freedom in general than the U.S. today. I go to the U.S. and I'm constantly getting kidnapped by people in blue uniforms uh, because one time I, I walked outside of a bar with a drink to, to get a phone call and I had three squad cars. And, you know, like these things don't happen in places like Dubai. They don't happen in yeah. Thailand. They don't happen in Mexico. Nowhere, really. Yep. Like, like in some ways, the U.S. is incredibly oppressive. Um, and so, yeah, this idea. So after 9-11, which 
you know, it's not what they said it was on the news. I, I don't know if you've looked into it very much, but it wasn't a bunch of people in caves in Afghanistan and that sort of thing. It was so George W. Bush comes on the television programming, and it's called programming for a reason. It's literally brainwashing. It's literally propaganda. And uh, goes, uh, they hate us for our freedoms. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's not much freedoms left in the U.S. And as you pointed out, no one hates anyone for their freedoms. I've never met anyone who hates them. It's like, oh, I hate that you you have freedom. It's like, well, well there's some people who don't like them. Those are the dictators, the presidents, the prime yeah. murderers and prime ministers and the, and the people who want to control people. But your average person across the world doesn't hate freedom whatsoever. Well, it's funny because every time I hear someone, you know, make a comment about me living in the Middle East, my first reaction is like, well, I'm so thankful that I live in the Middle East where it's safe. Like, there is no violent crime here. There is no petty crime. There's, you never see a police officer. I've been here seven years. I think, you know, besides driving past the police station, you don't see police cars. Maybe like twice in seven years do you actually see them. They certainly never stop you or give you a hard time or anything like that. I was in Chicago about a month ago for a mastermind program, and a good friend of mine from Mexico, she picked me up at the airport. And I'm wearing a suit, I'm nicely dressed, we're driving a nice car, and we're going through Chicago. And there was something problem with her license plate, something really small, you know? So they pulled her over, which is fine, but then on the left was a gentleman with his hand on his holster, and then on the right was a female police officer with her hand on the holster, and then a guy behind the car and a fourth person inside the car. And it's like, okay, I, I will reach into the glove compartment now and I will get the license and re or the registration for the car. Like, okay, go ahead. And they're eyeing me with their hands on their guns. And I'm like, this would never happen like in the UAE where I live. Like, I don't feel safe right now at all. Oh, absolutely. And not to mention the reason that they uh, violently pulled you over, and it is using violence. You say it's fine they pulled you over, but every time those red and blue lights go on in the U.S., your life is at danger. Uh, you are being violently threatened. And if you try to get away from them, which is totally normal uh, mm -hmm. thing that a lot of people feel like, I don't want to be involved with these people, uh, they will uh, chase you down and kill you if you try to get away. And not to mention, the reason that they did all that is because you probably didn't have a sticker on the license plate that pays the month, the yearly annual permission to the government in order to be able to drive which has nothing to do with freedom whatsoever. And that's my whole point with the U.S. It's so regulated and taxed and, and all that sort of stuff. And true police state, as you pointed out, it's 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 beyond a, a big problem in the U.S. You just hear about it daily. Just I just saw one today, this this morning, and I don't know if it's true, and you should really always look into things and not just accept what you see. Uh, but the, the thing was that it was just showing, and it said uh, uh, cops just shot a young black man because he was uh, talking on his phone trying to call his mom. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that happens every day in the U.S. And, and so the fact that the U.S. is trying to go around the world spreading freedom and democracy, is, it's, it's a joke. It's actually a scam. It's, it's, um, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is going and taking over countries and, and for the corporatists and, and, uh, and, and just dem demolishing everything and destroying the entire world. This whole war on terror is a war of terror. And uh, we, you know, we've seen that in, over in the Middle East, as you, I'm sure you're well aware, it's affected the Middle East so much. Uh, places like Syria and, and then go into places like Afghanistan and, uh, and now Yemen. And, uh, you know, they're just constantly terrorized. They, they are the terrorists. It's so sad because I have so many f amazing friends who are Americans. It's such a beautiful country with natural resources and parks and 
you know, they put out fantastic movies and music and culture and all this incredible stuff that I just love and love and love. And then when I look at the the foreign policy and the policing and the surveillance and all these types of things and giant walls going up between Mexico, and it just it just upsets me so much. And like, I don't know what to do about it, you know? Well, I think you already uh, did something about it. You left. And that's probably the main reason you're doing your show. And and as someone who's been doing the very similar things to you, I've been, uh, I guess you, I'm, I was actually originally from Canada. I'm Canadian as well, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not that much different than the U.S. nowadays anyway. Um, and uh, I left Canada in around 2000 and, uh, or I uh, know, yeah, 2002. And I haven't been back since. I'll, I'll never go back. Most of the cold eh? weather. And- <laughs> Yeah, and it, you know, it's got the, the communism, the socialism, the police state. There's a big police state in, the, in Canada now as well, and, and lot, not much uh, freedom whatsoever. Uh, so, yeah, what you've already done something about it, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people are, and that's why, and, you know, I do. I talk a lot about this at the Draw Vigilante. We talk about being a professional traveler or a prior taxpayer, the PT theory, mm-hmm. also known as the flag theory. And uh, the growth in that has been really uh, huge. In fact, like when I first started talking about this stuff about 10 years ago, it was a bit of a foreign concept to a lot of people. A lot of people, I'd say, you should just get out of the U.S. They're like, but why? It's the greatest country in the world. In the world. Like, yeah, of course. Have you ever left? <laughs> have you ever left the U.S.? It's not. And, uh, and, um, and so it was really foreign and strange. And now, basically, I'll post something, and most of the comments are people in U.S. or Canada or parts of Europe, and they're like, I want out of here as soon as possible. This thing is getting worse and worse every single day. And they hear about lifestyles like you and the Emirates there, or me in Mexico. And they're like, that sounds a lot better than what I have right mm-hmm. now. Well, I think that's one of the things what I'm so happy about with this podcast. So I help people incorporate businesses offshore and get their business overseas. You know, I work with a lot of FBA uh, sellers and drop shippers and things like this. And every day I feel like I'm doing good work, you know, because I am helping people to legally not pay taxes. And that tax dollar can go to dropping bombs on villages and killing women and children. And I feel like that's um, a great thing that I can actually contribute by helping share my knowledge. And I, I think that's why it's so interesting to have a conversation with you, because this is exactly what you do as well. You help educate people and show them what's going on in the world and kind of take those uh, those sunglasses off of people, the blinders off of people. Yeah, you know, basically what we're doing is freeing slaves. And uh, Harriet Tubman was one of the uh, uh, top people who was freeing slaves back in the 1800s, uh, black slaves at the time. Now everyone's a slave. And uh, she's, they, the, her best quote ever is, uh, I freed a thousand slaves and I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. So there was a lot of people on even those plantations back in the 1800s. And she would go there and say, hey, you're a slave. I can get you out of here. I've got the Underground Railroad here and, and we can go. Some people went, went right away. They'd be people like us. And a lot of people said, we're not slaves. Well, the master takes care of us. He, he gives us our, our house and all we have to do is work for 15 hours a day in the field, picking his cotton and listen to what he says. And, you know, some people kind of actually don't mind slavery. And I'm okay with that. Like, I, you know, if you want to be a slave, be a slave. The, the thing I have a problem with is don't make everyone else a slave too. Uh, don't force people who don't want to be slaves to be slaves. If you want to be a slave, go right ahead, be a slave. Uh, I just don't want to do it. And so, yeah, you're doing excellent work. You're doing like very important work, uh, helping people to get out from slavery, essentially. And the more that we can do that, the more that these systems go away. And, uh, you know, this warfare state, you know, the, the more that we can help people to get away from extortion, uh, they call it taxation. It's just extortion. Taxation is theft. It's plain and simple. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that 
100%. With that one, we are 100% in alignment on. Yeah, you're born somewhere and uh, these guys come around. They're like, well, you, now everything you make for the rest of your life, you owe us half of it. It's like, what? Who are you? And they're like, well, it's the social contract. I'm like, where is it? I don't remember signing it. They're like, it's just the social contract. And if you don't, those guys uh, with guns are going to come and they're going to put you into a rape camp called a jail. And uh, and you live in the land of the free, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, most, this... of what we do, most of what I do is just trying to make people... because. They've been so programmed and so brainwashed their whole lives. It's sort of like people in North Korea. Like even listen to people who have escaped North Korea mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they say the same thing. There's like um, a lot of people think they don't want to leave because they think that they live in the greatest country in the world. And, and you know, because that's all they get is that information. Yeah. So really all I'm trying to do is, is get people some more information so they can at least realize what's going on and then make their own decisions on what to do from there. But most people just don't even realize what's actually going on. So talk to me about, like when I tell, try to tell people that I'm a libertarian and these are some of my views, the things that we're talking about, the, the common responses I get are, well, you know, who's going to maintain the roads? Who's going to build the roads? Who's going to have police and uh, fire department and medical and all these types of things? Can you talk to me about some of the responses? Because I'm sure you've had questions like this as well. Oh, yeah. As an anarchist, that is the number one question. And we all laugh at it because it's really a silly question when you think about it. So we're talking about in, so let's just use the U.S. as an example, because the most heinous, the most egregious uh, state in the world today. Um, they have a three trillion dollar federal budget every year. Uh, so that's money that's all stolen from people in the U.S. And now people are like, well, that's fine because they do the roads. The road budget in the U.S. is something like less than 0.1% of that amount. Not to mention that there's like things like gasoline tax, uh, which I, I, I'm not in favor of, but that's actually a much better way if you're going to do something like that, right? Is whoever's using the roads through, they need gasoline, obviously. You know, so in a free market, what would happen is that people would, first of all, let me start here. All the roads are already built. <laughs> We've all traveled the world. There's roads everywhere. Yeah. So they're not going to go away. So, so there's this like almost like mystical, like brainwashing trick. They have like a Jedi trick in their head that if government disappears tomorrow, all those roads go away. <laughs> they're already there and they're very simple. They're just flat pieces of land. Um, and you know, there's so many examples of people building private roads and, and you've traveled a lot. I don't know if you've been to Chile. They've got all private uh, toll highways in mm -hmm. the country. Some of the most beautiful highways I've ever been on, I'd much rather be on those than in, in the U.S., but the government uh, public uh, highways. Uh, here in Mexico, there's a lot of private roads as well. Um, they work always much better. It's just like anything. Like Basically, when the government's running something, it's like communism, right? It's central planning. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know, uh, or at least we should if we've looked into things, that communism doesn't really work because you have one guy at the top, and he's like, in the Soviet Union, for example, there's an old uh, story about they made too many left shoes and not enough right shoes because one guy at the top made a mistake or something. That doesn't happen in a free market because you've got like thousands of people all working on stuff and you know there's tons of different managers and different levels and they're all they all have things to do. When you have one guy, sort of like uh, Little Kim in in North Korea, who decides how many things get made, uh, he's going to make a ton of mistakes. Like even if he was super super smart. Uh, it's impossible to to be able to know what the market wants and to be able to fight it with one guy deciding. So every single thing that the government's involved in is essentially like communism. And when you talk to people on the right side of things, uh, they don't like communism. So that so I usually say to them, 
well, you know that communism is horrible, right? And you know why? Because it's central planning and, and that sort of thing. And they go, yes. And I go, so why do you still have communism and things like roads, security, which they call policing, mm -hmm. uh, schools, uh, which, you know, that's absolutely insane to have the government running schools. Um, and, you know, they don't know how to answer that because they, they don't know any other uh, way. But obviously the private market can do a much better job. And it always does. You look at anything in the world. What always runs really well? Private markets. The internet was very, 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 it still is very private. The, the government's trying to censor and do all sorts of things now. But look how great it runs. And it's basically free and it's easy. And you're in Dubai. I'm in Mexico. It works great. It's basically free. Mm -hmm. Imagine if the government was in charge of the internet since day one. We, we'd still be on modems. Uh, they'd cost $1,000 a month to use. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't work whatsoever, right? So, so the, you know, just basic things like roads, obviously private. Uh, you, you actually see all the time that I just saw a headline the other day, a guy's building a, his own off ramp off of a highway in the U.S. because he wants to get his business uh, more business. And yeah, that's how it would work. Like if you're going to build a business somewhere and there's no road there and you need clients or customers, you're not going to build the business unless you build the road as well. So the businesses would all build their own roads. And same thing with a house. If you want to buy a house somewhere, and you go there and, and they're like, hey, you're going to have to trek in on a canoe or something or like a ATV for about uh, five minutes to get here. You'd be like, oh, I don't really want to do this every day. Like you don't have a road. And they'd be like, no, we didn't think to build a road. It's like, well, when you build a road, let me know yeah. and then I'll buy the house. Right. Like, <laughs> it's, it's simple. Um, so all those things, firefighters even look at, you know, one of the biggest outcries in California with these fires, which look quite suspicious in my view, but uh, was that uh, Kanye West and uh, I guess one of the Kardashians, I don't even follow that stuff, uh, but they hired private firefighters to uh, make sure that their neighborhood didn't uh, get, uh, you know, um, burned down. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the outcry in the land of the free in the U.S. that believes in capitalism, but they don't. Uh, was that's terrible. These rich people are able to save their homes. It's like, well, you could too. And you know, one of the funniest things that I saw was there was this guy complaining about the Kardashians saving their own home by paying people to help, which makes total sense. Which I, makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. That's actually quite smart. Yeah. Like, you, hey, where's all my friends? I'll pay you guys. Just come get some water. Let's try to keep this fire away, right? And uh, the I saw one guy complaining about it. And here's the funny part. He was in a uh, mobile home park, and his mobile home burnt down, and uh, he was really mad that the Kardashians saved their own home by getting, you know, paying some people to help. First of all, you're in a mobile home. You, it's a mobile home. You can just leave. Like, this guy obviously is not thinking whatsoever. <laughs> like, why did you even get a mobile home if when the fires are coming, you don't just move your mobile home? Um, so yeah, you know, all this stuff's kind of crazy. People just don't think they've been so indoctrinated into basically what happens is once the government takes control of a certain thing, like education, a hundred years, uh, 200 years ago, there was no government schools. Then they took control of it. And now look at the education system in, in place like the U S or Canada or Europe. It's a disaster. People can't even read anywhere because it's government centrally planned. If it was private schools, they'd run perfect. They'd run so much better at the very least. Yeah, the schooling is disgusting. Like, I dropped out of school in my teenage years. I started failing out at 12. 15, I was out the door and started traveling. And I have a two-year-old daughter. We're homeschooling her or non-schooling, whatever you want to call it. But there is no way that you are. I'm going to be putting my child through that type of experience. What a horrible, horrible place. Now, I understand that, you know, socialization and friends, and that this is the biggest argument I get. But I'm like, who said anything about keeping my children away from people? Like... 
I want them to have experiences. I want to raise my child to be an entrepreneur and travel the world. And, you know, I'm not worried about them not learning trigonometry when they're in high school. Like, it's okay. If they have an affinity towards that type of stuff, fine. But this rote learning that they do, I think it's just terrible. Just going to take a quick break. Okay, new book is here. It's called Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. This book took me seven months to write and publish, and it's a culmination of some of the best stuff I've learned over my 20 years living as an expat. I cut out all the crap and tried to give you the real meat with this book. If you ever wanted to live overseas, or if you are already living overseas and you want to take things to the next level, to legally reduce your tax bill, to live a more international life, and get the best of everything planet Earth has to offer, then you must go to Amazon right now and purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Pause the episode and go take a look. It's cool. I'll wait. Seriously, you guys are going to love this. Enjoy the book. Yeah, it actually comes from the Prussian system, and the Prussian system was designed just to create factory workers and soldiers, and that's what they still have to this day. Uh, you don't actually learn in schools. You memorize information, so they're basically just indoctrinating and brainwashing you, and I was the same as you. I basically I had enough of government school by the time I was around 15, uh, and I tried to stay away, and the principal kept calling and saying that I wasn't there and mm -hmm. I was hiding so my mom wouldn't find me. <laughs> Finally, my mom said, you have to get your badge of obedience you have to get your high school diploma <laughs> and you know i was young i you know i want to make my mom happy so i said well can i just go for the test and so i did a deal with the school and they said well i you know back then it wasn't nowhere near as regimented if i said that today i'd probably be in some kid jail somewhere for even questioning the system or something but they were like, well, I guess that, yeah, as long as you pass the test, that's, you know, then that's okay. So uh, I'd, I, I wouldn't go. And then I, the night before any bit major test, so I'd go for like the midterm or the final test or whatever. I just quickly sk skim through the textbook. I would write down so many answers that I could on my arms and my legs. Uh, the rest I would just kind of understand because it's not that hard. Um, and I would always aim to get 50% on the test, and I did. So I, if you, I, I've never actually seen my diploma. I never picked it up. I've never had to use it. That's another sort of funny thing. Like, well, if you don't have your high school diploma, how can you get a job? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, no one's ever asked me for my diploma ever in my entire life. Um, and... Uh, you know, I just always aim to get 50%. And I think that's basically what I got. If I were to go back and ask them what my marks were, I think they're all like 50, 51, 52, 50. I just, whatever. Just enough for them to leave you the fuck alone. And then, yeah. Well, I was watching one of your videos this week and it was kind of a, um, there was a gentleman, uh, John Taylor Gatto, and he just passed away. And I know he did some really fantastic work in this field. Can you talk a little bit about that so my listeners have an understanding of the unschooling movement? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, John Taylor Gatto was a great man. Uh, he recently passed away. And uh, he was actually the, the New York uh, uh, City or State uh, Teacher of the Year for numerous years back, like decades ago. And uh, he started to realize what the system was as he was the teacher of the year. And the reason he was the teacher of the year is because he really cared about the kids and he really, uh, you know, like he wasn't just like making them memorize stuff. And, and they, they saw that back then and they thought it was a good thing. So they made him teacher of the year. And he started writing books about how horrible the system is. And he was basically just saying the same things we were just saying. This is not good for anyone ever. 
Uh, this is not the way it should be done. These kids shouldn't be forced to sit there eight hours a day like dogs. Uh, and, you know, talking about the socialization part, I hear that a lot because I'm also, my kids basically are kind of homeschooled, unschooled. They do go to a Montessori school sometimes, but that's a bit of a different story. Uh, but um, uh, you hear that all the time about uh, from other people. It's like, well, what about the socialization? I don't know about you, but when I went to school, it was basically I'd get there, I'd start getting beat up in the morning, I'd wait until the, the buzzer rang at the end and try to get out before I got beat up uh, and then and get home. That you know, not every school is like that, but that's the, that's what schooling was for me. And uh, even with my daughter, just recently, we we're talking about uh, some issues she's been having, and it came out that a lot of the kids at school have been saying a lot of stuff to her which have been really damaging her. Uh, she's adopted and saying that he's not your real dad and all this sort of stuff. I did not know about this. And she recently had some sort of almost like a breakdown just recently. And I found out about this. I'm like, I told you to get her out of school. Schools are so horrible, especially for kids. And, and you know, one of the things about that's really heinous about the schooling system is they take all these kids and they put them in all the same age group. And they sequester them in that age group. So you have eight-year-old kids just with eight-year-old kids. You have 12-year-old kids just with 12-year-olds. That's absolutely terrible. These kids need to see younger kids. They need to see older kids so they can learn from them. They need to see adults. They need to be hanging out with adults. And, and oh, that's how you, you – know, that's a way to live. Uh, so they put them at all like 13 years old. They all hit puberty at the same time. They all start going crazy. They all start beating each other up and doing horrible things to each other because they're they're – they're in a completely unnatural situation, whereas in a more natural situation, which would be like more of a homeschooling, unschooling environment, you'd be around the family. There'd be big brothers. There'd be uncles. There'd be friends. Uh, your son be like 14. He'd be like, I'm having all these new feelings. It's like, oh, Papa's there. Let's go talk. Let's go for a walk. I'll tell you what's going on here. Maybe your big brother will help you. Uh, but you're not going to be in a room with like a bunch of other 14-year-olds for like a year and try to figure it out all on your own. Um, so, yeah, every single thing about the schooling system, even private schools, is not good. Uh, if you had to choose, though, obviously private over government schools. Uh, but, you know, Vladimir Lenin uh, of the Soviet Union said, give me your child for four years and the seed I plant will never be uprooted. And that's fairly true. And most people today have their kids in these government indoctrination camps. Uh, they, they keep making it younger and younger, too. They started with grade one. Then they went to kindergarten. Now they have preschool which I heard they even have uh, two-year-olds in now, that you need to be with your family for those those uh, early years. That's the most important time to be around your family. And they got them in these indoctrination camps, and uh, and literally the seed that they plant will take them the rest of their lives to get over or to fix. And that's what we see today. So many people are so screwed up. A lot of it starts with schooling. Yeah. Well, for me, when my daughter was born, I brought my mother over to take care of her because I work and my mother or sorry, my wife works. You know, I have got the podcast and the business and I didn't want a stranger raising my child and let alone putting them into an environment where there's 28 or 30 kids like so they're leaving. They're learning their behavior from other people, children who don't know how to behave like that just seems like a recipe for disaster. So when your child learns from adults how to interact in society and how to get along and, you know, human interactions, how we speak, how we respect each other, you know, like we're very particular about no violence. Like, you know, my daughter's two and a half. She doesn't understand. So when she lashes out and she hits one of us, we calmly speak to her that that's not okay. You can't hit someone. You can't, you can't do violence to another. But I remember school, someone hit me. Oh, I turned around and just whacked them. And then they like it just it just perpetuate. And the same thing for you. I had a lot of bullying when I was growing up. And 
and it's a horrible feeling and you don't know who to talk to or how to react or how to deal with these types of feelings. You know, it's, I think it's sad. I think it's really honestly very sad. It's beyond sad. It's, it's, it's uh, evil. It's, it's horrible what is being done to all these kids. Essentially, they're basically in prison for 12 years. Uh, it's not much difference when you, especially in the U.S. today, you look at it. They go to the metal detectors. That's crazy, by the way. When I see that on TV, I'm just like, I can't believe that. Yeah, and then they go, they sit down, the buzzer rings, they sit down, they memorize all, all, the, all the presidents and how they, they uh, saved them all and how lucky they are to live in the land of the free. Then the buzzer goes, they go to the next thing. Then they get beat up a bit. Then they go to the cafeteria, get some slop. And, uh, you know, it's, how is that much different than prison? And you see the kids acting like they're in a prison. That's how they really start to act. It's, it's absolutely terrible. It's, it's, you know, most people don't see it because, like, as I pointed out, when you have something that's been going on for decades or generations, it just becomes thought of as the norm and people don't think outside of that. And your average person out there, when they have a kid, they're like, well, I guess he'll be in government school in a few years. It's like, no, he doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's the worst thing you could possibly ever do to them. Uh, and, you know, people are waking up, though. So we have a conference. I don't know if you know. It's called, oh, you mentioned at the start, in Narcopoco. It's a big focus of ours to have uh, things on peaceful parenting, unschooling. Uh, we actually have Dana Martin, who's basically the leader of the unschooling movement. She's been doing it for like 15 years. She's like well-known in many different countries. In Mexico, actually, she's very well-known. Mm -hmm. There's a big unschooling movement here because of her. She's actually running an Arcapoco for us now. And uh, we have something called the uh, Free Your Family Camp, which runs all throughout the conference, all four days. And we already have over 50 families with kids signed up. So there's going to be 50 to 100 kids uh, at least. Uh, we still have a few months until the conference. Uh, all in these sort of family camp for, for, for a few days and learning about peaceful parenting, unschooling, nonviolence, like you pointed out. A lot of people out there will, you'll hear this a lot. You'll hear, well, you know, you have to hit the kids to teach them discipline. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, of all the things, of all the people in the world that hit a little kid, like of all the things, and you look back at like a hundred years ago, I saw a thing in a newspaper and it said, should you hit your wife? And they, all, of course, all they asked was like guys. And every single guy was, yes, of course, you have to discipline them. That's how pe people used to think of women 100 years ago. But they still think of kids that way. And kids, they're like little angels, all of them, every single one I've ever met. Uh, they're brand new. They're, they're, they're pure souls. They're, they're so curious and wide-eyed and so loving and happy and giving and, and all that sort of stuff. And then they do something wrong because they don't know it's wrong. And all of a sudden, this giant walks up. Imagine a guy who's like 10 times your size and like whacks him. What's that going to do? All it does is make them uh, angry, uh, makes them feel sad, and makes them not realize how they have to learn uh, because you don't learn. They, they actually figure learning is, you know, you hit. And so then these kids grow up and they become parents, and uh, they'll say to you, when when you talk about peaceful parenting, they'll go, well, I was, uh, I was beaten as a kid, and I turned out fine. And I'm like, almost everyone ever says that to me is like, you're not fine whatsoever. Look at you. <laughs> You're like a child, like a beater, uh, and you think it's fine. You're so screwed up, um, you know, and it's the cycle of violence. And th we've seen this for how long? I don't even know, as long as human history. If you have violence in the home, uh, it'll just continue. Yeah, just perpetuate to the next generation. Just perpetuate, yeah. But see, I've been, like I said, my daughter is two years old, but I've been saying I want to homeschool my child for 15 years since I've, you know, I was a teenager 15, 20 years ago. I've been saying I wanted to homeschool my kids. And the looks I got at, from people at first were like, he's crazy. Like, he's nutso, you know? 
And now I tell people at 35 years old that I want to homeschool my child. And they just kind of nod their head and they're like, yeah, that's better. Like they start to get it. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed like a big growth in this type of sector that people are coming on board with homeschooling and unschooling and world schooling and all these concepts? Oh, absolutely. It's like I pointed out earlier, even libertarianism is growing massively. There's been a conscious sort of a shift or awakening going on over the last 10 or 20 years. And people are slowly, I think it's thanks to the internet. It's thanks to shows like yours. It's thanks to shows like mine and millions of others out there. People have access to this information now. And once you hear this information, it kind of stays in your head. And then if you hear it from someone else and you hear from someone else, a lot of people start to wake up. They go, wait, maybe what I've been told isn't like the exact way that we should be doing things. And then they'll read something or hear something, or maybe they'll come to the family camp here and they'll be like, oh my God, this is so much better. Um, so yeah, we're seeing that in every single area, whether it's libertarianism or unschooling, uh, even with politics. Uh, and, you know, Donald Trump being elected recently, uh, that was actually people starting to wake up but they actually fell for the same old trap again. So people were like, okay, this sucks. Like Bush sucks, Clinton sucks, uh, Obama sucks. And they were like, how about this crazy reality TV star who's a complete moron? Uh, and uh, like, let's just try him, right? So, so people are like reaching out for something. They know there's something wrong. At this point, almost everyone realizes something's wrong. And that's a really good starting point because it wasn't that way a, a while ago. Like 20 years ago, a lot of people were like, everything's pretty good. You know, I think this is good. Um, you know, government schools are fine. You know, the central banking, you know, fiat currency, that's all fine. Uh, you know, there's been a end the Fed movement going on for a while now, end the Federal Reserve. Uh, you're seeing a separation of governments happening all over. Even the U.S., uh, California has numerous uh, parts of it that want to separate, which is great. I always support secession. And, uh, you yeah, there's Lieberland, which is a neo-narco-capitalist country. Uh, there's the sea stepping going on. People are looking for the solutions. So, yeah, absolutely. This is what's going on is that most people at least now recognize there's a problem and they don't fully recognize what the solution is yet, but they're at least on that path. And yeah, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, a lot of stuff I used, I'm saying now used to sound insane to most people. In fact, I was usually referred to as that crazy guy. And now I'm saying the exact same thing. And most people, I'm filling up like a thousand people come to hear me speak when I speak sometimes and, you know, or even more than that. And, uh, uh, and they're all just nodding their heads. So, so there's more and more people just getting it. And as more and more people get it, the other people around them who don't get it yet, they see that. They sense it. They're like, I always said this, if you're at a cocktail party, because uh, most people will just follow the herd. It's sort of a human sort of instinct for most people to go along and get along. That's why actually anarchy works quite well is because your average person doesn't want to cause too many problems. They really just want to live and, and just, you know, have their life and, and that sort of a thing. And they, they mostly just want to go along with the crowd. So if you're at a cocktail party and you have 10 people and, um, and uh, someone brings up, let's just pick a topic, unschooling, that'd be a good one. Uh, if uh, one person starts talking about it and the other nine have never heard about it, uh, that person will be mostly kind of laughed off and the gr group will all look at each other and go, ah, he's crazy, he's crazy. But if there's another person there and he goes, yeah, I'm into that too. Now that's two out of 10, that's 20%. That, uh, that gives that first person uh, some uh, credibility. Now all of a sudden the group has to really think about this. Now, if you have three people, it's over. The entire group will pretty much very quickly become unschoolers because they'll be like, oh, I, this is the thing. This is the way to be doing it now. Um, you know, if you look back at communism, which was a 
nice idea, but on paper, horrible. on paper, <laughs> horrible yeah. in reality, right? Um, and I, I could have, you know, I could see myself a hundred years ago, whenever communism came out, I could see that myself reading that. Um, I forget the exact slogan, like give to others what's needed or whatever it is. It sounds really nice, that communist slogan, right? I could see myself if I didn't know any better going, hey, this sounds pretty good. Let's try this. And that's exactly what happened. So about whenever communism came out in the 1800s sometime, I believe, uh, and like late 1800s, I, I believe. I haven't really fully looked into it. And um, it caught on like so fast because it was a, a, a new idea and people really liked the idea and it just started to spread. You can't stop like, you know, good ideas. The thing is, we now know that it's a nice idea. It doesn't work. And so there's still people who don't know that, but, you know, they're kind of brainwashed. Uh, but when you have an idea that really does work and it, it, and people start to catch on to it, you really only need about 15, 20 percent of the population to kind of get it. And then it pretty much just spreads everywhere. And so we're almost at that point now. I believe we're really at that point, uh, because as I pointed out, I used to go to uh, conferences and be seen as the crazy guy I used to be at, at parties seen as the crazy guy. And now, actually, I have to find things to say to make people think I'm kind of crazy nowadays. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm boring these people just telling them, yeah, government's illegitimate. Central banks are a scam. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, you get your kids out of the government schools. Like, 20 years ago, that would have been insane. And now I'm saying it and everyone's like, yeah, tell us something, you know, kind of new, something, you know, that we haven't, we didn't already know. Uh, that's really the point where it's almost at. Well, for your conference this year, I think you're expecting how many people? 3,000 people or something for Anarchapogo? Yeah. yeah, we're expecting it, it might be as high as 3,000 people. Um, it's doubled every year. It's going into our fifth year in February. See, that's incredible. So you have 3,000 people who are going to learn new things and go back to their communities all across North America, the world, Europe, everywhere, and start spreading some of these ideas. That's super powerful. That's really incredible. Yeah, it really is. And uh, when we first started five years ago, we only had about 100 people show up. And uh, again, even five years ago, this thought of having a conference about anarchy was so crazy to almost everyone, including anarchists. It's like, this will never work. This will never work. Um, but no, people are starting to wake up. And yeah, we have people from across the world. I see some of the tickets coming in and literally every single sale is from a different country. I'm like, oh, Japan, uh, Israel, uh, Australia. It's like the whole, like everyone comes here for uh, one week of the year. And yeah, it's really quite amazing. We really have um, everything in one place for a week to learn about every way you can free yourself. And a lot of this stuff is stuff you know, whether it's the financial stuff, setting up your businesses in different jurisdictions. We actually do that before the conference at the Dollar Vigilante Summit which is February 12th and 13th, and then Anarchapoco's after for February 14th to 17th. Anarchapoco has things like the family camp, it has CryptoPoco about all the cryptocurrency stuff, uh, it has a health and wellness conference. So we haven't even talked about that, but on the health and wellness side of things, the entire system is set up in a way to mostly keep people sick their entire lives, this entire pharmaceutical industrial complex, and people are starting to wake up from that and start to realize all, a lot of these natural things are the way that we should be doing things. We shouldn't be taking pills from most things, most ailments that we have today, and, and people are starting to heal themselves from all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, it's quite phenomenal. Most people who come to an Arcaboco, they say it changed their life, and I really recommend it for anyone who's like thinking like an expat. Um, or wants to be an expat because the great thing about Narcopoco is it's in Mexico. So if uh, people have, if you're in the U.S., or Canada, or Europe, and you've never really gone anywhere outside of your area, 
great opportunity to come see what it's like. It's not dangerous like they say it is on television. You'll be so surprised. And um, and you'll meet uh, so many people who have already sort of expatted. Uh, there's uh, every, every year about 5% of the conference attendees just stay in Acapulco. So there's now like... I think hundreds of people, anarchists living in Acapulco, who just stay here year-round now. So you can meet with them, say, and many of them unschool, so you can meet them and, and just see how they live and, and see if that sort of jives for you. If a lot of these ideas are new to you, uh, it's not new to you, obviously, but uh, for, for some of your listeners, uh, is, if this sounds a little crazy, but you think might you know, something about it rings true to you, come check it out and hang out with like 100 unschooled kids and, and see how they are, and I'll tell you, Every single unschooled kid I've ever met, and, you know, there's, there's always a few exceptions, but I've never met one that I wasn't like, whoa, like, this kid is so alive, He's his eyes are, like, just so open, and he's so clear, and he's just so, so, uh, like, one of the things they say is if you don't socialize, they're going to get all, like, introverted. No, they're so engaged, so engaged, it's unbelievable. Yeah, in those government schools, they, they teach them you can't talk and stuff, right? And if you speak up and you say something bad, you got to go to the principal's office. The unschooled kids never went through that. So they'll go up and talk to anyone. They yep. don't care because they have no fear because they've never been taught that they have to have fear to, to go and relate to other people. Well, that's one of the things I teach my daughter right now. Like, I don't understand where this thing, don't talk to strangers. For me, I'm like, go talk to strangers, make friends. You know, like we've both been talking about before, we both traveled extensively. I've seen the majority of the countries, people are inherently good. You know, they want the same things. We all want to protect our family, take care of our family, be healthy, long, live long, prosperous lives, have fun, you know, enjoy ourselves on this planet. People are not out there to per like purposefully hurt you. Yes, there are bad things that happen in the world, but it's not to the numbers of the degree that people say. You know, so when we're out, you know, my daughter, she goes over to the table next door at the restaurant and says hello and walks over and I'm like, go make friends, go, go speak to them. You know, I don't want to teach them fear from such a young age to fear everyone around them. I think it's terrible. Yeah, it's all done on purpose. That's really how government stays in place is through fear. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, government, the meaning of the word is mind control. And their their main tactic is fear. And they use the mainstream media television programming, uh, which are controlled by all the same people, to do the same thing. So if you're sitting in the U.S. and you're watching TV, Mexico looks like it's it's horrible. Yeah. Like it's, it's like your head's going to get chopped off if you come here. I've been here for 10 years. I've never felt safe in my life. And this is actually, according to the CIA, the fourth most dangerous city in the world. Wow. Acapulco. It's the nicest place I've ever been. Yep. It, I've never seen any problems, ever. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there is problems. There's cartel-related problems, which is all caused by the government and their war on plants. Yeah. Uh, which, if that went away, there'd be no problems whatsoever. But those cartel guys, they have no interest in going and killing people they don't know. Why would they do that? It makes no sense. Uh, they get... Because they have to go underground with what they're doing to supply willing, voluntary customers who want plants, <laughs> uh, they, they have to go underground. And if they have disputes, they, they can't go to a court, whether it be a private or a government court. They have to work it out amongst themselves, which usually means a gunfight. And mm -hmm. they, they end up doing that. And then they report it on the news as uh, it's chaos and warfare in Mexico. No, it was some guys who had a dispute. Yeah. <laughs> and no, that happens. And, and when they go into this type of environment, they already understand what the what the market is like. So they know that cartels rival each other, and this is a choice that they have made to enter in. You know, so it's two willing parties that are doing something that arguably should not be illegal in the first place. Like you said, it's a plant. Like, come on, guys, like, we can get past this now. 
they're setting up the problems in the first place and then getting upset when these things happen. I don't know. It. Yeah, you just have to look. You just look at the alcohol prohibition back in the land of the free in the 1930s. It was headless bodies in the streets of Chicago. There still is kind of that today, but that's because of the socialism and all that kind of stuff and the gun control. Uh, but, uh, but it was like, you know, it was terrible. And all these gangsters, Al Capone and all that, and they were just fighting it out. And, you know, that's what happens when you make things illegal. And what happened? The use of alcohol actually went up because when the government tells you you can't do something, it actually gives human instinct and nature is you want to do it more. Uh, because we're all kind of want to rebel at, at certain levels. We don't like to be told at a certain core level. We don't like to be forced and told what to do. And so when the government does that, it just makes you want to do it more. And that's what's happened with the so-called drug war. Uh, it's just created a, it's created millions of uh, casualties. It's, it's actually been one of the worst wars in human history. That uh, still goes on to this day. It's really sad. It doesn't have to happen. And now we're seeing the finally uh, legalization or decriminalization, which is better, of cannabis. And look at Colorado, and everyone was like, oh, if Colorado was the first to uh, decriminalize uh, cannabis, and it's going to turn into chaos and all this. No, the economy's boomed. Uh, the, the, the prisons, there's no one in, in prisons anymore because that's the only reason they were in prisons anyway, was because they were doing something illegal, which shouldn't have been illegal. Uh, and uh, from what I hear, Colorado's doing amazing. In fact, it's, it appears like that's one of the biggest sort of immigration places from parts of the U.S. Like, they're getting so many people moving there. Uh, and, and that's always the case. You know, government is just always terrible. And um, and so, yeah, when, when you hear about, and you know this, being to 100 countries, I don't know how many countries I've been to. I've actually been to so, some that people really say are absolutely terrible. And there's only been one, maybe two, that actually were. And one was Somalia. I went there. I literally have it on my list here of things that I wanted. Because like, I, I heard that you had been to Somalia. Tell me about this, because this is super interesting for me. Well, as an anarchist, uh, besides the road comment, who's going to build the roads, the other comment is, well, if you like anarchy so much, go to Somalia. And I heard that for years and years and years. And I'm like, what? what's in Somalia that, I, that as an anarchist I need to go see? So I go there, and you really need like your own security, private security team. Uh, it's, a, it's pretty much a war zone. And um, it's been going on for about 10 or 20 years now. It started with a civil war. I went there and uh, we stayed at a hotel called the Peace Hotel, very nice name, and uh, they were private and man, they were really good at their jobs. They had private security guys that were way better than any, uh, you know, police or military guys I've ever sort of met, like super pro. And we had about 10 guys with AK-47s if we wanted to go out into the town. They told us not to stay anywhere for too long. Uh, there's a bunch of issues going on there. Uh, but there's like eight different governments all fighting over the area. There's a huge Turkish base. Of course, there's the U.S. The U.N.'s really big there. Uh, there's uh, United Arab Emirates, interestingly enough, are, are there. I don't know what they're all they're all fighting over the, the port or something. Yeah, I don't even know. It makes no sense. Um, but the, the point is that uh, people said, if you like anarchy so much, go there. And it's like, well, it's just all governments fighting over this area. And the, and the U.S. is constantly drone bombing. We met a uh, father of... Uh, uh, a large family and something like 10 of his family members were killed in a drone bombing at one of their weddings. And, Jesus. and what we were, what he was telling us was, I know it was horrible. And he was saying, I don't know how he, he's still walking around truthfully. Yeah. Like if that happened to me, I don't know what I would do, but he said, that's what a lot of these terrorists, so-called uh, Muslim terrorists come from is because when your family gets wiped out by a bomb by the U S 
I don't know about you, but I'd be like, I, I want to kill the U.S. government. I don't know how, but I, I'm going to do it. Uh, so they actually create all the terrorists, uh, so-called terrorists, um, by bombing just all these parts of the countries. And in Afghanistan, it's been like 20 years now of just bombing people and killing people. And you know, I saw those prisons like Abu Ghraib, and I, I think that was in Iraq, but you know, it's just like torture dungeons that the U.S. government has all over the place, and they create all these problems. So. So yeah, Somalia, you know, if you want to go there, definitely get in contact with the Peace Hotel. They were amazing. Uh, they, uh, I don't know if any other hotel does what they do. They'll pick you up right at the airport in like Humvees. Um, their hotel is only about five minutes from the airport. It's got three walls surrounding it. And apparently a suicide bomber got through two of the walls just recently. Um, just last year, we drove by a hotel and it's just all rubble. It used to be a very, it was the largest hotel in uh, Mogadishu. It was completely bombed. I think like over a thousand people were killed in one bombing. Uh, we we heard bombs going off as we were there all around the hotel. Uh, one area we had just driven past uh, had a suicide bomb, killed some people. Uh, so it's not like a great place to visit as a tourist. Um, but, you know, if you're careful, you probably will do okay. Um, it, it seems to actually be doing better. I talked to a lot of the locals. They said this is a lot better than it used to be. I'm like, well, that's good. I hope it keeps getting better. Um but, uh, you know, so uh, my point was I was talking about how the news makes every place look so scary. Really, most places are amazing. I, I can't think of too many countries. The only other time I had a semi not nice time was in Venezuela last year because the hyperinflation had really started at that point, And uh, it's even worse now. But it was not uh, enjoyable to be there. Uh, none of the businesses were open. The hotel was open, uh, but they would just. They would actually stack all the furniture in front of the doors at night just to, you know, try to keep people out if there was, you know, some uh, people who wanted to come and kill us or rob us or whatever. Uh, most of the restaurants were closed. There were some restaurants open. Um, most of the bars were closed. Uh, most people just hid in their houses. It was just, you know, hyperinflation is really terrible. It's really um, a horrible time for any area. And um, so those are the only two times of the 100 countries I've been to that I was not like having a really great time. Uh, everything else, like Mexico's awesome. Mexico's mm -hmm. unbelievable. It's like my favorite place in the world, really. Um, you know, you hear about like Cambodia. Cambodia's awesome. Cambodia's amazing. Them. It's so yeah. beautiful yeah. there. Well, like, yeah. I usually like to see places for myself. So, you know, yeah, I've been that's to... that's the only way to do that. It's, it's, you have to make your own decisions. So I spent two months in Colombia, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I had an incredible time there. I've been to El Salvador. I've been to, uh, to North Korea. I've been to Iran. I spent maybe five years ago, I spent two weeks in Iran by myself. And people were like, my father was actually afraid for me. Like he was like, what are you trying to prove going there? Blah, blah, blah. And I went and it was the most beautiful country I've ever been to with the most gentle people who were calm and relaxed. You walk through the market because they say all these things about the way that they treat women. You walk through the market and when a woman would walk by, all the men would step back. No one was yelling at them or screaming. It was very calm and relaxed. They had so much natural beauty and history. And I'm like, this is not what the media said at all. Like... This is 100% different. They have nothing right. You know, I don't know about the government policy or anything like that, but I know what I saw with my own two eyes. And I was there for two weeks with a private driver who spoke Farsi, who took me into homes, who introduced me to people. And I went into mosques. And, you know, what an incredible experience. And I think it's important to make decisions for yourself and not just read or listen to what happens in mainstream media. Because perhaps 
perhaps they have their own agenda for telling you things like this. Oh, absolutely. You can just look back at uh, Afghanistan uh, back before the Russians invaded. Uh, it was like one of the nicest places in the world, uh, like at least like the capital city. It looks like, you know, the U.S. in the 1950s, people in nice cars, nice clothes. They're all having a nice time. Um, you look at Syria. That was uh, very sad. I, I wanted to get to Syria before the U.S. terrorists uh, bombed it all, uh, but I didn't, unfortunately. Yeah, but I heard well. it was amazing. I, have, you, have you been there? I have not. I have not. But I felt yeah. the same way about Iraq, because when you look at Iraqi history, that's not actually Iraqi history. That is world history. That history actually belonged to human beings, our entire civilization. And it's been destroyed. And now the same thing is happening in Syria. And it just makes me yeah. sick to my stomach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, all this stuff. Uh, but it really, your point is, is very true. And it's the exact same thing I, I've seen is everything you're told on the media by governments about other countries is is so far from the truth that it's basically the exact opposite of the truth for everywhere I've ever been. Uh, Mexico is a great example. Yep. I still can't believe that some people think it's dangerous here. Um, uh, you know, talking about... Um, other, oh, you brought up Colombia. Man, I love Colombia. Uh, I don't know if you've been place. recently. It has, it's unbelievable. It's one of my favorite places in the world today. And you talk to a lot of people, it's like, oh, uh, I heard it's scary. And, you know, it's uh, all the Pablo Escobar and all this sort of stuff. It's like, no, no, no. That was a long totally... time ago. Like, that was, that, that happened a while ago. That's not really applicable today. Yeah, and and yet again, it was all just caused by the U.S. war on drugs, and and but it's it, that stuff's almost all gone now. There's still a few little problems, but if you go to Medellin, one of the nicest mm -hmm. cities in the world, the people, as you pointed out, I actually haven't been to Iran. I was trying to go this month, but I couldn't make it, um, and I'm trying to get there before, hopefully, and I I really hope the U.S. doesn't do something there. Uh, they they just came out just today. I just saw, oh, the, the media, uh, television programming propaganda came out and said that Iran is hiding chemical weapons. So they're starting up the old Iraq. Oh, my. All those lies. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd really love to get Iran. I've heard the same thing. I know some people have been there, same thing. And oh, it's basically amazing, everything that. you hear on the news and the programming is, is so far from the truth that it's basically the exact opposite of the truth. So what are some of the other countries that you really love spending time in? Like if you were to go away, like, because I know you travel a lot and you speak on stage and you travel all over the place. What are some of those other ones that you really enjoy visiting that maybe sometimes people have a bad opinion of? Well, there's so many. Uh, like really, there's something I love about almost every place. Uh, just off the top of my head, because I had such a great time just recently, was Hong Kong. If you haven't been to Hong Kong... Such a great place. It's so amazing. It's like capitalism central. Everything runs so good. I was staying in the tallest uh, hotel in the world, uh, the Ritz-Carlton. I was on like floor 130 or something. And uh, down below, it's all like Tesla charging stations. And, you know, there's so many people, but it just all works like clockwork. It's just like so everything works so well there. So I love Hong Kong. Um, you know, there's so many. Uh, you know, I was just just thinking about recent ones. I was just in Tahiti, Bora Bora, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, you know, just natural beauty, unbelievable. Uh, the great thing about the Bora Bora airport is uh, when you land, there's no parking lot or anything. It's on a very small island. All there is is a marina, so all the hotels have boats. So there's, you just uh, you land, and you're basically in a marina, and all the boats are there. And you just get on a boat, and you go, and beautiful, nice boats and everything. And when you come back, there's no security whatsoever. There's no metal detectors or anything. You just get off the boat and you just get on the plane. It's like, oh, this is so nice. It sounds like heaven to me. Jeez. Yeah, no, it, it really is. If you haven't been, it's in the middle of nowhere. But if you can get there, it's amazing. Uh, there's so many places. Even, 
oh god like like it's hard picking the ones that are great like most places are really great so you know a lot of european countries really nice uh less so the places i don't like uh london very much i don't like paris that much uh but uh eastern uh europe uh estonia uh, i was just in um latvia beautiful uh, Poland, actually, I was really surprised. Uh, that was one that, you know, even me was surprising. I just had this thing in my head that it was kind of going to be communist style, kind of gray, kind of not that nice. Man, northern Poland in the summertime is one of the most beautiful and nicest places I've ever been. It was so amazing. I forget the name of the town, but it's very north Poland. Go there in the summertime. It's so nice. Well, it's it's funny that you uh, mentioned Paris because, like I said, I've been to all of these types of countries over 20 years of traveling, and the only place that I ever felt scared from my life was actually in France. And I was being interviewed on another person's podcast yesterday on Extra Pack of Peanuts, and we were talking travel. And it was like, I got followed and hounded by people in France, and this is supposed to be like the most beautiful place in the world and the highest traveler uh, destination, and it's like, and places like Iran are supposed to be the axis of evil, and I had a fantastic time in in Iran, but actually in France is where I actually feared for my life. Like, that's that's kind of weird, right? Not really, if you know what we know, because uh, everything's a lie about what every place is. The great thing about France is its history, and mm -hmm. they have a lot of really nice things like the Louvre and all that kind of stuff. If you're into that kind of stuff, it's great. But it's a real shithole. <laughs> like, I don't mm -hmm. like Paris at all. I try to avoid it, and I don't like London at all. I had the same experience. I was just there a few months ago for a crypto conference. I drank a bit too much, and uh, we I went outside uh, in London with my wife, and we got surrounded by about eight guys who uh, were trying to rob us. Uh, my wife actually fought them off more than me because I was that inebriated, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, she took her shoe out and actually got one of my chains off my neck and Man. stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, London, Paris, New York. Like, these are places I try to avoid. And then people, places that people think are horrible or dangerous, like Acapulco, Mexico, or as you pointed out, so many other, like uh, Iran and, um, you know, Cambodia, like Phnom Penh is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, all the places that people think are really dangerous aren't. And the people, the places that people think are really quite nice, like Paris, aren't that nice. So... Talk to me about some of the steps that my listeners can take if they want to learn more about this. I know that you have the conference. Do you have any reading? We mentioned Ron Paul earlier. I just finished reading his book, which is just phenomenal. Any other types of resources or people, places, and things that we can send them to so they can wake up and get educated on what we've been talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Ron Paul. He'll be speaking at Anarchapoco. Uh, he spoke uh, last year. He'll be speaking again this coming year, along with Judge Napolitano, Dave, uh, Doug Casey, who, if, do you know who Doug Casey? Oh, absolutely. I'm looking to get him on my show, so. <laughs> oh, let me know. Maybe I can hook that for you. He's like a good friend I of mine. But would absolutely appreciate mentor. that. Yeah, so if you're into expat stuff, the stuff that we've been talking about, like there's no one better to have sitting beside you with a cigar and a glass of wine than Doug Casey. He's got, st my stories are nothing compared to his stories. Um, and so he'll be speaking in Narcopoco. So if you're an expat sort of a thing and you're into that stuff, just come to Narcopoco. Check out the Dolby Lottie Summit beforehand. We have all those people, including Doug Casey, speaking at it. We'll be talking a lot about the prior taxpayer uh, permanent traveler theory at the conference. Uh, so definitely check that out if you want, and that's at uh, anarchapoco.com or tdvsummit.com, and then check out the Dollar Vigilante newsletter. One of the things that I've done with it is uh, we've always had what we call TDV groups, the Dollar Vigilante groups, and we have them all across the world. And we actually have it on Facebook in, in groups, uh, which is kind of, I just got kicked off Facebook. Uh, I just got banned <laughs> from Facebook. But um 
we have groups, I think it's like over uh, hundreds of them in, in almost every country in the world. And these are all just expats. So <clears throat> for basic subscription to the newsletter is about $15 a month. With that, you get access to all the groups. If you're an expat kind of guy, especially if you're traveling, like that's, this is what I do. When I look at my agenda for the next month and I go, okay, I'm going to be in this country, that country. I go and I see where the groups are and I let them know I'm coming. They usually want to meet up for dinner while I'm there. And it's not just because it's me, by the way. They're very open to anyone who's like an expat or thinking the same way or very liberty-minded. If you just mention, hey, I'm coming to Hong Kong, there's usually about like 10 people there waiting to have dinner with me when I get there. And I've heard a lot of other people do that. So it's a great resource. Uh, just so we've got these expats across the world who've all been living this way for a long time. So you can just check that out, Dollar Vigilante newsletter at dollarvigilante.com slash subscribe. That's basically it. I, just, I do so many things, but... Um, yeah, that, 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 those are the main things that I do, I think. That's fantastic. And I'll make sure I put all the links to that at expatmoneyshow.com so you guys will be able to follow up with that and get in contact with Jeff. Jeff, thank you so much. Super interesting conversation today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Peace. We'll see you next time. Okay, I want to read you the reviews from the back of the book that some massively famous people in the international living space have wrote for me. See if you recognize some of these names, okay? So Gregor Gregerson says, In Expat Secrets, Mikkel elegantly describes the many benefits that accrue to those that choose their country of residence and provides practical and timely tips and examples for doing so. This book is a game changer. Leif Simon says, Having lived and worked overseas for more than a quarter century myself, I've seen expats make every mistake under the sun. Save yourself time and energy and learn from someone who has actually done it. Expat Secrets is the book to get you started in your international journey. Edmund John says, Having incorporated hundreds of companies from my clients over the last seven years, this book is very helpful for those that are starting out. And Michael Cobb says, a huge thanks to Mikkel for clearly written, concise description of the international experience as lived by a true globetrotting pioneer. Especially refreshing is the chapter on the benefits of raising kids overseas. As the father of two third culture kids, I can personally assure you that no education expands the mind more than growing up overseas. And my good friend David McKeegan wrote the foreword to this book. But I will let you read that yourself when you go to Amazon today and you purchase your copy of Expath Secrets. Thanks, guys. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region.
But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.